0: As I mentioned earlier, we are on our second Sunday of what it means to practice our faith, and the subject today is the practice of worship. And so before we start into this worship conversation, I want to ask you three questions which I would like you to think about, and then I'm going to call for some answers. The first question is, what did you need in coming here today? Or rather, why did you come to worship? The second is, how will you know you received it? And the third is, how does your presence help other people worship? So I'm going to come back to those questions. I'm going to ask you to write them down. But first, let's pray. Loving God, we give thanks for this day. We give thanks for the gift of worship. For the sacraments that remind us of the oaths and the promises we make to you and to one another to remember our story together. Be with us in this time, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts may be truly acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So the three questions again that I invite you to write down and think about, why did you come to worship or what do you need in being here? Why do you come to worship? Two, how will you know you got what you needed? How will you know you got what you needed? And three, how does your presence help other people worship? As we were searching the scriptures this week to find out some good instructions about worship, there's a lot in the Hebrew scriptures about how to do sacrifice, how to line out the temple, even architectural suggestions of how to do it. But in the New Testament, there's remarkably very little that tells us how we should worship. Some of the closest we get to is in this passage from Paul or one of Paul's disciples, about the qualities we need to practice as Christians. Love and peace and forgiveness. To admonish one another in doing good things, in keeping to the faith. And then he throws in this line about singing psalms and spiritual songs, which we do every Sunday. Thank you. (laughs) So I actually went and turned to something that is post-biblical. To a great saint of the church, Justin Martyr, who lived in the second century, who wrote very beautifully and simply and very straightforwardly about the sacraments of baptism and communion. I'm not going to share everything he said there, although it is worth your while to look at. But as you know, the early Christians to whom Paul was writing weren't quite sure what they were doing. They weren't quite sure if they were getting it right. They were reinventing. And as I often say, we are still figuring it out here. We are still reinventing. But here's what Justin Martyr wrote. After writing about baptism and communion, he said, "'And we afterwards continually remind each other "'of these things. "'And the wealthy among us help the needy. "'And we always keep together. And for all things wherewith we are supplied, we bless the Maker of all, through His Son, Jesus Christ, and through the Holy Ghost. And on the day called Sunday, all who live in the cities or in the country gather together in one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. And then, when the reader has ceased, The president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. Now, it's unclear whether I should think of myself as the president or Ben McGraw, who's our moderator, who's not here today, should be our president, but this is how they did it in the second century. Then we all rise together and pray, and as we before said, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought And the president in like manner offers prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability and the people assent saying amen and there's a distribution to each and a participation of that over which thanks has been given and to those who are absent a portion is sent by the deacons. You may know that a few weeks ago when we had communion Alisa organized a group from Hearts and Hands to take communion to folks who can never get here to church with us. And they who are well to do and willing give what each thinks fit and what is collected is deposited with the president who succors the orphans and widows and those who through sickness or any other cause are in want and those who are in bonds and the strangers sojourning among us, and in a word, takes care of all who are in need. But Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly, because it's the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world, and Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. For he was crucified on the day before that of Saturn, or Saturday, and the day after that of Saturn, which is the day of the sun, having appeared to his apostles and disciples. He taught them these things, which we have submitted to you for your consideration. This is how Christian worship started in the second century, and we have been practicing it all over the world in different forms and different ways ever since. Of course, sometimes we get stuck in rituals and we wonder why we do them. You may have heard of the famous story of the family who always cut off an end of the roast before they put it in the oven. Later they asked, why do we do that? We don't know why we do that, except grandma had a pan that the roast didn't fit in. And so we could never put the whole roast in the oven, but we continue to cut off the end just in honor of grandma. It's important every once in a while to look at our traditions and our rituals and think if we're doing them well. Phyllis Tickle, who is one of the speakers in our series, in the curriculum on practicing our faith, you've heard me say this, you heard our heard our preacher a few weeks ago say this, that every 500 years, the church needs to have a rummage sale to get rid of that which they no longer need. And the last one we had was in the 1500s with the Protestant Reformation. I wrote to you this week that I was struck a few years ago when I was in a class with some other newly graduated seminarians who were asking the question, what is the point of worship? Why do we do this? These two guys were very involved in work, which was making justice real in the world. One of them was regularly visiting political detainees who were on lockdown in the Queens neighborhood of New York City, visiting them regularly and being Christ's example to them in prison. Another one had worked with refugees and displaced people in Honduras and knew what it was really like to be poor, destitute, without a home and without a prayer, so it seemed. They wanted worship that kept them going in that work. But it was clear to me that most of the worship they went to was boring and didn't fit their needs. Or, a few years later, I was working with a bunch of 12 year olds and I'd ask our kids to just listen to me a second here. And we were going to plan worship together for sixth graders, for the whole church school. So we sat down and we looked at the order of worship together and I asked the kids about the different parts of what we do in worship and why we do it. And I said, how many of you like worship? And not a one of them raised their hand. Why don't you like worship? And kids, what do you think they said? Why don't you like worship? It's too long. It's too long. Boring. It's boring. That's right. I will say in our video for this course, he describes thinking of worship as a kid as butt-numbingly dull. He says it in church. I say it in church. It was disappointing to hear the kids say this because at the time we had six clergy and two musicians devoting three hours a week. Planning together, plus the planning we did outside, for two hour long worship services every Sunday. So the fact that our efforts were turning up boring and too long was disconcerting. So we worked with those kids to come up with a worship service that they would enjoy. Why did you come here today? What are you seeking? What do you need, and how do you know if you will get it, and how is your presence helping the people around you? Our speaker in the video about worship is a guy named Mike Slaughter, who has a 12-step church. They follow the 12 steps of the recovery movement as a part of their spiritual disciplines in their whole church's life. And a few years ago, he was in a restaurant and had a problem with his heart in which he fell down and realized that he needed to eat better and get in better shape and he started going to the gym and now he's trim and slim and likes to run. He compares worship to being like going to a gymnasium, that we are all at different levels working on our souls, our problems, but we're here to support one another, to encourage one another. Perhaps give one another pointers occasionally, as Paul said, to admonish one another in good things, as Justin Martyr said, that we are all committed to the well-being and fitness of our souls together. Or as someone in my household likes to say, that we are committed to becoming the best people that God made us to be. And so I wonder about that metaphor for us and how that helps us as we work on our forgiveness, on our love, on our compassion. We need each other in able to do that and to encourage one another. But Mike says something else, which is that many of us come into worship with something that has a grip on our hearts. It may be a bruised relationship. It may be something we've done wrong that we're trying to aright. It may be a hurt that goes way back to our childhood. It may be anxiety about the future, but many of us, perhaps most, perhaps all of us, come with some sort of grip on our heart. And what do we need in this time together to loosen that grip? So I would like to hear from you. Why do you come to worship? How do you know if you get what you need? And how does your presence help you? The first question, why do you come to worship? Well, raise your hand, please. I do. Yes. Go ahead, Joan. To get in tune with God. Jason. Same thing. Yes, Betty. Peace. Yes, John. To pray. Yes, when to feel the power of the community. Ryan, what did he say? I forget. He forgets. <laughs> to remember, perhaps, Mekala. <laughs> to be inspired. Yes, tell me the name, please. Tell me the name again. Caroline. To remember why I'm going to seminary. We have a role to play here, all those of us who are not in seminary. Yes, Sophia. To remember people. Excellent. First time visitor. Yes, Barbara. To regain our serenity in a troubled world. Barbara says to love. Leanne. To be forgiven. Betty says the choir. Choir, yes. Uh, Mary. to get out of my intellectual head and more into the spirit. Yes, Armani. To learn about God and Jesus, head of the class, sitting with his church school teacher. Excellent. Yes. To refill on the Holy Spirit. Holly says to refill on the Holy Spirit. And how do you know if you got what you needed? Yes, Mark. So, Mark says he comes for connection. Sometimes it's thought-provoking or troubling, but it helps him work on what he's working on to get down to a deeper level and feel connected. Did I get that right? Others, yes, Linda. Linda says she needs to be motivated and she feels refreshed, amen. uh, Merle. when you feel emotionally touched. Great. Yes, Jason. To feel like you can breathe again. Yes, Lisa. To feel like you have conversations and insights that you can't wait to continue on the next week. Deborah. Feel like we are more together. We can be more than we are together than as individuals. A synergy. Yes, Merle. To share time with family. Time with family. Yes, David. Well, if this superior group hasn't thrown me out, I feel I've done my job. If thi- <laughs> if this superior group hasn't thrown me out, then I feel like I've done my job. And finally, how does your presence help people worship? Choir, do you have any answers for that? <laughs> to sing. To lead us in song. Check to check out the harmony. Can we just say thanks to our choir for all the ways they lead us? How does your presence help others worship? Yes, Stephanie. To show, our youth love and to show our youth love and acceptance where they are. Yeah. Yes, Jennifer. We lift each other up. When my friends at church come up and ask me how I'm doing, it makes me feel important. Yes, Barbara. To comfort one another. Yes, Caroline. (laughs) To get down deep in your soul and to share the love. Yes. (laughs) To find the peace that I came here for. I often tell this story, but I know that one person who now comes regularly only came back because someone took the time to come back and introduce herself during the passing of the peace. Never forget that when we come together in worship, we are here for each other to remember how to practice, to remind each other of what it means to be in the Spirit of God in the body of Christ. This is where we all knit it together, whatever we're doing in church, and it's the only thing that actually really matters that we do. Everything else springs from this, our justice, our community work, our deepening in faith together. So I encourage you to be regular in your worship, to come and work out your spiritual soul, to ask for what you need from your pastors and otherwise, because we are looking at new ways to do our worship in creative and life-giving ways. And your presence, your soul, your needs, your takeaways are vital to all that we do. Amen.